Welcome to the Gospel Reverb Podcast. Gospel Reverb is an audio gathering for preachers, teachers, and Bible thrill seekers. Each month, our host, Anthony Mullins, will interview a new guest to gain insights and preaching nuggets mined from select passages of Scripture in that month's Revised Common Lectionary. The podcast's passion is to proclaim and boast in Jesus Christ, the one who reveals the heart of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to the latest episode of Gospel Reverb. Gospel Reverb is a podcast devoted to bringing you insights from Scripture found in the Revised Common Lectionary and sharing commentary from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. I'm your host, Anthony Mullins, and it's my delight to welcome our guest, Brad Turnage. Brad is the Director of Youth and Family Ministries at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he has worked in youth ministry for nearly 20 years and has served alongside his wife, Jamie, since 2009. And they both feel a deep calling to work with teenagers and their families and are committed to walking alongside both as they come to understand the deep love of God, which he has for them in Christ. And in his free time, Brad loves traveling. Amen. Photography, darts. Hey, Ted Lasso. And disc golf. My friend, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the podcast. And since this is your first time on Gospel Reverb, uh, we'd love to know a bit about your story and how you are participating with the Lord these days. Yeah, well, I have uh, worked with teenagers uh, pretty much just about every year of my adult life um, at uh, different churches um, and uh, also uh, spent a few years working with Young Life. Um, and I've I keep trying to do other things, but God just keeps bringing me back to working with teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think I, I'm just really, uh, it's just such a hard kind of season of life. Um, and, and especially for our kids that are growing up in the church and trying to find that space to honestly figure out like, what is it that I believe and, and is God real? And, um, and I just really come to life, uh, getting to walk alongside, um, uh, these students uh, who are um, coming in to know the great love of, of their father. Um, but over the last few years, I've really uh, more so been drawn to working with families. Uh, the best youth ministry uh, happens at home. And, um, and, and so I, I love going into uh, families' homes, uh, spending time not just with students, but with their parents and, and, and students and parents together, and, um, and just helping our parents figure out how they can navigate this terribly difficult thing called adolescence that is just as difficult for parents as it is for uh, our young people. And so I'm, I'm blessed that I've been able to do that uh, pretty much my whole life. And uh, my wife is a, a great partner uh, in that. Um, she um, makes me a better um, servant of the Lord uh, as she serves alongside of me. So I'm just so thankful. And uh, currently I'm doing that uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina at Westminster Presbyterian Church, and I've been here for uh, about a year and a half. Yeah, I, I so appreciate what you said, you know, as someone who has uh, served in youth ministry for a couple of decades myself, I I'll, I don't think I'll ever leave that behind, right? Yeah, it's like you said, you're trying to do other things, but God keeps drawing you back to to the way he's, he's made you, and uh, thank you for your love for Christ and the love for the family. And that's encouraging because I think one of the biggest mistakes I made in youth ministry was trying to segment the teens away from their families, not intentionally, but some of the activities and the way we went about our ministry did that. So it's it's good to see that holistic approach. 
as I as I mentioned at the top, Brad, uh, this bot podcast is devoted to sharing commentary on the scriptures from a Christ-centered and Trinitarian view. Um, that says a lot, but what does that say? From your perspective, what does it mean to read scripture uh, in a Christ-centered and Trinitarian way? Well, I, I would say two things to that. Uh, first, I think it just starts with an understanding that the entire Bible is one story. It is the story of how God will bring about his kingdom through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So no matter what you're reading, um, that is the backdrop. That is that is the story, um, even if it's before Jesus shows up on the scene. And of course, you know, John reminds us that he was there from the beginning, that word of God um, from the beginning. And so I, I think having a, a Christ-centered, you know, view of reading scripture is everything you read is through that lens. And and for me, practically how that, you know, I, I try to prepare myself to do that is um, I just live uh, in the Gospels. Uh, somebody told me several years ago, every month, reread a Gospel. And I'm not, I don't do it quite that often, but I'm, I'm constantly reading the Gospels as I'm reading the Old Testament and Paul's letters, just as a reminder that um, everything I'm reading is about this person, Jesus. And, uh, and the next thing I would say is, I would quote Karl Barth, and say that scripture is a witness to the word of God, that word of God, Jesus, um, as, as John one says, and not only is scripture a witness to the word of God, but because of the Holy spirit that is, is active today, even now, um, as the spirit moves through, uh, those words of scripture, it becomes the word of God here and now. And, uh, and, and so you, you've got the father and the son and the Holy spirit so active in scripture. And when we come to it, we have this opportunity, not just to, to learn about Jesus, but to be in relationship, um, to, to be in his presence. Uh, one thing I tell our students over and over again is if you want God, if you want Christ and Jesus and all of this to become real in your life, you got to read scripture. You got to start with reading scripture. It really is uh, a living uh, word of God today. And so that's that's what I would say in terms of what it means to have a Christ-centered and Trinitarian kind of uh, view of scripture. I was struck, Brad, by the fact that you said this is what it looks like uh, in part to be in relationship with God. Can you tell us more about that, what you mean about how do we come to scriptures when they're just words on a page and they can feel flat and unalive? How, how does that enter into relationship? You know, I think it's a mystery. I, I, I can't explain it, but I believe it because of my own life and and pretty much everybody that I've ever talked to that have said, you know, the time in my life that God really became real and I, and I felt that presence and I felt like I was in relationship with him uh, was after I really took serious reading scripture. Mm. Um, and, and I think the words are flat and uh, but the practice of reading scripture, I think, I think like any practice, uh, when you start doing something, um, you know, if, if you want to run a marathon and you begin practicing, um, it's it's challenging. It's hard. Um, but any practice, the more you do it, the more you you come to life and the more that uh, what you're doing becomes easier. And I think that just committing to reading scripture is the only way to discover that mystery of there's something about those words that are different. There's something about the Bible that's different. And I, and I do think, in, 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 you know, I think that all of scripture is so important. But again, um the only way for the Old Testament to come to life is by knowing the one that it's pointing to in Jesus Christ. And so, again, I think that's why it's so important just to live in the Gospels as we're reading um, 
everything mm, else. Well said, sir. All right, let's do this. Here are the lectionary passages we will be discussing today. It's going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 16 through 23, for the sake of the gospel. Mark chapter 9, 2 through 9, transfiguration glory. Mark chapter 1, 9 through 15, into the wilderness. And finally, Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38, the way of the cross. Our first pericope of the month is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 16 through 23. I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, the updated edition, which is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, which is February the 4th. If I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me, and woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a wage, but if not of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my wage? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. For though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might gain all the more. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to gain the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law though I myself am not under the law, so that I might gain those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though I am not outside God's law, but I am within Christ's law, so that I might gain those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so that I might gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a partner in it. Brad, I've heard it said that there's, there's a fine line between preaching with conviction and preaching with arrogance, and I think the, the fine line is humility. Paul writes, there's no ground for boasting in the proclamation of the gospel. Tell us about that. What does he mean? Well, I think there's no place for boasting because the gospel begins with our death, and dead people have nothing to boast mm. about. I mean, what is a dead person going to boast about that you're more dead than the next guy, that you're <laughs> better at doing absolutely nothing Preach. of any real value? I mean, it's and I think more than anybody, Paul understood that. I mean, especially coming from just the, the his his old life that was so blatantly sinful. Right. We all have that same darkness. But for Paul, he couldn't deny it. He had this history and he knew that um, any hope he had was that his life was now given to him in Jesus. Um, in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified along with Christ. The life I now live, I'm only living through the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. There's no boasting because you didn't do anything. And, and all you can do is, is hope that if you're dead enough, someone else will resurrect you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think that's, that's what Paul means. And ironically, the the one thing that Paul does allow himself to boast about is uh, the fact that he's weak enough not to get in the way of what Jesus is doing in his life, right? That, that Jesus is his life. And, you know, if we can just get out of the way, then, uh, then, then we get to participate in that. And so I think it is this, this starting point of, of our life has no value aside from the one that has filled us through Jesus Christ uh, with this new self. Um, so I think that's why, you know, Paul says there's no boasting because there's nothing to boast about. You didn't do anything. 
That's such a good perspective, and that, that reminds me of Robert Capon, and, and I'm quoting loosely here, but he, he talked about Lazarus coming out of the, the grave. Like, what else was he going to do? Life himself yeah. told him to come forth, and he came forth, and that's, I think, uh, a metaphor for all of us, is it not? I think so, and, and um, but again, and you're going to hear me say the words upside down and backwards a lot today. Um, it is that, that mystery um, that the only way to life is, is, is in our death. And, and ultimately that is true that, you know, that day that, that we pass on um, in our death, we, we come into the fullness of life and the kingdom. But it's also true right now that, that when we learn to die to ourselves and we learn to let go, um, we, we allow for Christ to, to come to life. And um, that letting go, that um, dying to ourself is, is such an important part of, of the Christian life. And, and, you know, and I think you, you were right on when you said, you know, that fine line between preaching with conviction and preaching with arrogance is humility. And um, the, the, I think the harder question is how do we find that humility? Um, especially, I mean, preaching is such a, such a terribly challenging job to, to stay humble because you're literally standing on a pedestal in front of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and people tell you how great you are and people tell you. And so I think for me, um, the pathway to humility is just being really honest about my own darkness. Um, years ago, I was, uh, I was preparing a talk on the Good Samaritan and I was talking to my pastor and he said, the, the most important part of the Good Samaritan is that it reminds us that we have the ability to see somebody as less than human. And I thought, no way. But the more that I like just get honest about my sin, the more I see like there's some real darkness and there's some real brokenness that is is in my heart through my old self. And my old self has, is still a ghost that's trying to cause problems. And, um, and the more I'm honest about my sin with myself, the more I hear the voice of God say, and yet I do not condemn you. Now go and do likewise. And I think that's how you are able to preach with boldness without it turning into boasting is if you're just really honest about the, the fact that you've got nothing to give outside of, of, of Christ in you um, because of that old self that still goes around. And, and, uh, but but we, we try to let it go so that the new self will do what it does, and that is point to Jesus. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've been rereading a, a book by Eugene Peterson called Working the Angles, and, and he talked about how the community of faith is a community of sinners, and one of those sinners happens to be called pastor or preacher, you know, and that that puts it in perspective, you know. I'm just the one that, for whatever reason, the Lord is uh, speaking a word, uh, but it's His word, and, um, you know, I have been raised to new life in Him because I was dead, <laughs> and I had nothing to Absolutely. do with it, so yeah, well said. Well, Paul really uh, makes the point, leans into the fact that he's he's trying to be all things to all people. And so when you exegete a passage like this, I, I think the question has to be asked, what does it look like to be a slave to all, Brad? So help us. What does that look like? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. I mean, <laughs> it's slave to all. Is there a harder calling? I mean, it's just everything, giving away of everything to all. Um, but I think it starts, uh, you know, uh, I'm not there yet, but I continue on trying to take hold of the, 
the one who's taken hold of me and Jesus. Um, and I think it starts with having a paradigm shift um, that, that you have really died with Christ and the life you now live is in Christ. It's not yours. You are a new creation bought and paid for by the blood of someone else. And not only have you been bought with a price, the one who bought you has given you away to the world for the sake of the world. That is, that is our calling. Uh, and, 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 and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be the salt of the earth, right? Preserve that image of God in this world. Be the light of the world. Uh, you are the light of the world um, to be this reflection of God in the world for the sake of the world. And I think one of the things about modern Christianity at least here in the West, is that we don't talk enough about what our role is in the world and that it's to live for the sake of the world, uh, to be the image of God in the world. And God in Christ made himself a servant and he gave himself away to all. And his life is now our life. And so we have that same calling, that calling to give your life away. And, and the, the crazy thing is that the hardest thing is that it's not just for the believers around mm. us, but it's for the it's for those who don't believe. And it's not just for those who love you, but it's also for those who hate you. Um, to make yourself a slave to all, as, as Paul says, um, to, you know, uh, to, 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 it starts with, you know, this realization that our life isn't ours to begin with. Um, and, and, and of course, it's easier said than done. Um, but coming to an understanding of that, I think, has to be the start. Um, and again, that's upside down and backwards, but most anything in the gospel is going to feel that way. Um, and then if I were going to say practically, how do we live that out, this idea of being a slave to all, um, I'd, I'd talk about two things. I'd say first is you got to figure out the places that you're already a slave um, because you can't be a slave to all and a slave to something else uh, that that is um, that has you, that's controlling you. And so be really honest. Where are the places in your life that you're a slave to? And, and start figuring out how to let some of those things go. Um, you, you can't hold on to, to two things at once. Um, you know, what, what, are, what are those things that demand our attention and demand our obedience? And, and ask God to help you, help you see those things and then to, to have the, the faith through Christ to, to let those things go. And then I, I'd also say that if you want to be a slave to all, you have to start small. You can't be a slave to all before giving your life away to some. And so, you know, what does that mean with your family? What does that mean for the people around you? If you can't give your life away to your wife and to your neighbors, you're not going to do it to, uh, to the, the all that Paul calls us to. Um, and and I, think that, I think so much of that is just putting other people's um, interest above yours. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's a great tool for ministry, um, and, and it's something that in youth ministry I've, I've really seen God use is um, coming along somebody and learning to love what they love is a great way of, of being in relationship uh, and, and, and sharing Christ with somebody. I had a student several years ago that I was had been trying to connect with, and I just never could like really uh, get him to you know, lean in. Um, and I just felt like every time I tried to talk to him, I was hitting a wall. Um, but I found out from his mother that, uh, he was a big fan of, of this TV show, uh, that was on Netflix. And so, uh, one weekend I just binge watched the entire show. Um, and then, uh, I learned to love what he loved. Um, and that was the starting point of, of coming alongside of him for a couple of years and, and really getting to, to, to 
share Christ and, and Christ's love um, and to be loved back by him um, and to see Christ in him. And so I, I think that's what it means. It's just this perspective change that it's not all about you. Um, and it can't be all about you because, again, you're dead. <laughs> and the, the one that is your life is the king of giving it all away, uh, the king of, of, of being the slave for all. And so the more we understand that, the more we can find little ways to do it. Friends, we just had church. Brad was our teacher. Thank you. <laughs> That's That was rich and challenging at the same time, um, especially in our culture where it is all about me. And, and it's not, but that's the way we try to live. And there's a reason it, it doesn't end well, right? It's not the yeah. way it was meant to be. Thank you, Jesus, that you were the servant of all. Well, let's pivot to our next passage of the month. It's Mark chapter 9, 2 through 9. It is a revised common lectionary passage for Transfiguration Sunday on February the 11th. Uh, Brad, would you read it for us, please? Sure. Six days later... Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, is it good for us to be here? Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, this is my son, the beloved, listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the son of man had risen from the dead. So, Brad, the liturgical calendar gives us Transfiguration Sunday every year. Um, why do we keep telling this story? What's what's the big deal here? It's the biggest deal. <laughs> I mean, if 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 I could choose any moment uh, in Jesus's life to go back and be a part of and see, it's without question the Transfiguration. It, it's it's the moment of all moments, I think, in the entire Bible. Um, at least of the moments that have already happened. Uh, it seems like there are going to be some really big moments uh, coming later. But in terms of what's happened, it's, it's, it's the moment. And, and, um, and I think it's because if, if we think about Jesus's life, including his miracles, and if, and if we could watch them, I think we'd find them to be more mundane than we expect. Um, there wasn't, there was no smoke and lights. There wasn't this hoopla. And probably from our perspective, nothing that seemed super spiritual. He, he used mud to wipe away a man's blindness. Um, that's incredible, but it's not a show. Mm. And you can probably walk away from that convincing yourself that, you know, is that man really blind after all? But the transfiguration, there's nothing mundane about it. It's the moment in the gospel that the curtain hiding the mystery of Christ is pulled back. And for a moment, the disciples see what they had been trying to come to terms with, this reality that that, that Jesus is really God's son, that that, that um that he is God in the flesh, bathed in, in, in just the, the, the light that he is bathed in this glory. Um, and, and none of the gospels really matter uh, if, if Jesus isn't God in the flesh. If Jesus isn't God in the flesh, then what's the point? Um, there are a lot of people that did really good things. Um, there are a lot of people um, that, um, you know, did the things Jesus did, uh, but only one of them 
was God in the flesh. Um, and so I think that's why it is so important. Um, it is just that moment that tells us Jesus really is who he says he is. Mm. Well, he, he tells us that, but his good buddies, like Peter, kind of missed <laughs> the point uh, of what was happening, or at least they were so overwhelmed by what they were experiencing. They didn't know what to do with it. And uh, I, I'm just curious, and I know this is a leading question, but can we miss the point too? And, you know, because they wanted to stay up there on the mountain, and Jesus is like, no, we're, we're going down the mountain, and there's work to be done. What, what can we take from this, Brad? You know, poor Peter, you know, <laughs> he misses the point. <laughs> But and Anthony, what are you supposed to I say? Know, I, know, <laughs> like, I know, I know, I know. I mean, the, I think the only thing you can ever really say uh, that gets the job done is just thank you, and then then you just shut yeah. up. You know, I think that's the only mm. thing Peter could have said in that moment is thank you, God, that that we're here. None of the disciples knew what to say. Peter just proved that fact by trying to say something. But as for the mountaintop, yeah, I think we miss it all the time. Um, and back to what we were talking about earlier, I think it's because of this paradigm shift um, that that life really is, uh, from our perspective, upside down and backwards. Of course, we want to stay on the mountaintop. Of course, the mountaintop is where we assume that 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 we're meant to live. Um, and I, I think I think we have to recognize why we have these mountaintop experiences and what they're for. And, and I think God gives us these mountaintop experiences so that we might actually trust when he says the really hard things, things like take up your cross and follow me, you know, when he tells us to give our life away and, and that's going to be the only way you'll actually find your life is by losing your life. You know, if, 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 if all we have is, is that without the mountaintop, then how do you do it? How do you, how do you live the, the challenging life of giving yourself away to others aside from these moments where, where you get to really experience God and his glory. And, and, and those moments are beautiful. Um, and, and I actually think it's a lot like the miracles that Jesus performs. Um, and we, we really want Jesus to be the miracle worker. And, and I think, of course, 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up, they wanted uh, God to be the miracle worker who goes around taking care of all of our problems, healing the sick, feeding the poor. But that's not who Jesus is. He does these miracles so that we might believe him when he talks about, you know, the real mysterious way that he's going to save us. Um, think about it. He, he feeds, he feeds 5,000 people with this amazing miracle. But then immediately after that, he says, but I am the real bread that will give you life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. You know, if Jesus would have just started with, I am the real bread of life, people would have been like, what, that's, what are you talking about? But, but once Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a few loaves, you go, oh, maybe, maybe I should pay attention to what he says. <laughs> you know, he, he gives these miracles. It's the same way with the raising of Lazarus, right? He raises Lazarus from the dead. But moments before that, he says the real miracle, which is I am the resurrection. And anybody who believes in me will never die, right? How do you believe that? Well, Jesus says, all right, I'll give you this raising of Lazarus so that you might actually believe um, the, 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 the real miracle. And that is that nobody who believes in me will ever die. Um, and, and so I think that, that the mountaintop is like that. It's the Christian life is hard and it's mysterious and it's upside down and backwards. And so to give us the faith to do it, God gives us these moments. Um, and, and, 
but but we don't live there, you know. Um, and, and and as much as I'd like to, it's just not where life is. Um, you know, we we read scripture, we learn about this mystery of God, um, who includes us in His life, death, and resurrection. Who says, "Trust me and follow me, and you will find life." When like me, you give yours away, and that's hard to believe and even harder to do. And so we're given these mountaintops, whether that's at camp or at a conference, um, whether it's through the spirit when you're praising or singing. Um, maybe, maybe it's through experiencing a real miracle, seeing someone healed after you pray. Uh, but we're not meant to live there. We're meant to follow Christ into the valley of the shadow of death, trusting that the only way we'll ever experience real life is through losing ours. Um, oh, it's you know, it makes me wonder if scarcity is also behind this desire not to go down the mountain, that we've experienced the brilliance of God here, but will we experience the brilliance of God in the mundane? Uh, which I think the communion table teaches us we do in just the common, ordinary, what might seem mundane, like bread, um, you know, yeah. wine, it's always present. And, and and I think we do that with a worship gathering too. Like we we think sometimes we're coming into the presence of God and really what we're doing is asking the Spirit to grow our awareness of the presence of God already there and already everywhere we go, that even as we come down the mountain, God's there. He's at work. And Absolutely. grow our awareness, Lord, right? Yeah, and I think communion is such a great picture of that because... I mean, he takes the, the most mundane like things that the disciples would have seen every day. There's not a single day that they're not breaking bread, you know. And so Jesus didn't, you know, use this illustration of this great banquet. He, he took the most mundane thing and said, every day when you're, when you're breaking this, um, I'm a part of that. I'm a part of not just the high, but I'm a part of the very low. Um, and uh, and it's, it's beautiful. And I think, you know, what happens when we come to the table enough uh, to experience that um, uh, uh, bread and, 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 and the body and the blood of Christ. Uh, what happens if we do it enough that every time we sit down at a table to enjoy a meal, we're reminded that God is present even here um, in every moment of our life. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to believe because it feels mundane and we just assume that God isn't mundane, but <laughs> that's, he's just everything. Mm. So of course, even in the mundane, he, he's a part yeah. of that. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's uh, move to our next pericope of the month. It's Mark chapter 1, 9 through 15. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for the first Sunday of Easter prep, Lenten season, which is February the 18th. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness forty days, tested by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So, Brad, if you were preaching this text, what would you say? How would you herald the gospel? You know, I think you, you have to at least first start with the Trinity, right? I mean, I, I think it's, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is the only place in Scripture where we actually see 
the three persons of the Trinity interacting kind of together in this way. Um, the Spirit descends on the Son like a dove, and the Father proclaims, you are my Son. And you, you have those three you know, persons of the Trinity all uh, interacting with one another. And whenever you can point to the Trinity, you have to do it. Um, because I think the Trinity shows us, I, I, I talk about this a lot with the students that I work with, good luck trying to understand the Trinity. <laughs> and even more luck trying to talk about it, because you can't talk about the Trinity without stumbling into some heresy here or there, just because it is so mysterious and it's so out of our kind of context of, of, of what we can understand. Um, but even though we can't fully understand it, we can learn from it. And, and the most important thing I think we learn from the Trinity is that God is relational. And, and that's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy that, that, that God is not only relational, but that he invites us into that relationship. And, um, and so we see a father who deeply loves his son, and that love is, is flowing through the Holy Spirit. And I don't understand it, but I, I know that God has said I'm included in it. And, um, and I'm so thankful that, that that same spirit is a part of my life that helps me um, love the father in Christ. Um, and so I think you could build a sermon around that. Easy. Um, I could talk for so long about that, but I think I... I could also build a sermon. I think I might focus on the way that Jesus uh, is sent into the wilderness um, before he begins his public ministry. Um, And I think it reminds us of those times in the Old Testament that the wilderness was used to prepare somebody for God's work. You know, Jacob goes into the wilderness and wrestles with God, and and then Israel is born. You know, Moses meets God in the wilderness um, before freeing the Israelites, and David wrote so many of his psalms fleeing from Saul in the wilderness. And, um, you know, so there's something about the wilderness in scripture that allows for God to show up in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and so I think I, you know, yeah, I, I would probably focus in on, on that, um, on the wilderness. As I'm thinking about your thoughts and, and trying to process what I'm hearing, I, um, I, I agree. Like if the Trinity's there, point out the Trinity. And, and this is where Bart is so yeah. helpful to me. It's like, he gives us a, a language of talking about Trinitarian action. And he says, you know, we can't comprehend it. All we can do is apprehend, you know, get glimpses. And sure. I appreciate the fact that you said, you know, we're going to dabble in heresy here or there, not intentionally, but we will, because it's a mystery. Yeah. And, and, and man, Lord, fill us with wonder again. Uh, sometimes we just make Christianity so flat and... Um, and so that leads us, as you said, talking about the wilderness. And I, I do want to go there because why? Okay, so Jesus hears these affirming words to the Father, these words that express the truth of his love. And the Spirit takes him to the wilderness right away. Like, come on, man, give us a, can't we just ease into this, you know, before we uh, we go there? So tell us more about the wilderness, because so much, as you've already pointed out, of Scripture we see happening in the wilderness. There, there's a metaphor that maybe we don't want to talk about and, and realize. Uh, what else would you say about it? Well, Anthony, there's no easing somebody into the wilderness. <laughs> all right, <laughs> even all if, right. Even if... If, if you would have said, all right, Jesus, you have a week, go to REI, get yourself some gear. It's still going to be a tough, it's the wilderness. Um, plus, Jesus doesn't get eased in anything. I mean, he shows up in a manger. Mm. That's, his, that's his moment of coming into this world. It was, in some ways, kind of Jesus going into the wilderness was this picture of 
of him coming into our world, flesh, uh, God in the flesh, um, this light in the darkness. Um, but I do think it's it's important to, to understand why Jesus, as he begins his public ministry, begins it with, you know, this time of, of struggle and um, uh, 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 this journey into the wilderness uh, and, and this fasting. And I, I don't know to what extent Jesus needed to be prepared for his public ministry, and I'm certainly not going to try to figure that one out. But a journey that's going to end in a cross might as well start in the wilderness, I think. Um, you know, Mark, Mark doesn't give us much here, um, just that Jesus was tested by Satan. But, you know, if we go to Matthew and Luke, we get a glimpse of just how Jesus was being tempted. And I think it all has to do with how Jesus will use his power to fix the world. Uh, Robert Capon, who you mentioned earlier, um, talks about right-handed versus left-handed power. And right-handed power is the power to control, to coerce, the power to force. It's what we think about as power uh, in the world we live in. Uh, and, but left-handed power is mysterious. It doesn't look like power. It's the power of forgiveness, power of patience, endurance, letting go. And ultimately, this is the power that we see used by God and Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. And I think the temptation of Jesus was the temptation to do a fix-up job on our broken world, to, to use his power to um, make a bad world good, you know? Um, but it was never that way. It was always going to be his death and resurrection that would bring about his kingdom. You know, the, the world doesn't need to be made better. It needs to be resurrected. Um, and it's the same for us. It's the mystery that is revealed to the disciples and hidden in the parables, this mystery of we find life and death. And, and, and we're not going to find it anywhere else. Um, and so I, I think that this temptation kind of, at the, even at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, as he goes into the wilderness, as he's tempted, it, it feels upside down. It feels backwards. Um, but again, that's God's kingdom. Um, God's kingdom shows us that power doesn't look like power, that um, uh, that the way that God is working in the world is, is not going to be the way that we expect. And so, uh, you know, Jesus going into the wilderness is, is a little picture of that. I have no doubt that there are those um, in our listening audience who feel like they're in the wilderness right now. And we all are. I mean, this living yeah. in an evil age, it's, it is wilderness. But for those that are exceptionally feeling that right now, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? You know, I, I, I actually think that those of us that feel like we're living in the wilderness maybe have this blessing um, because it's a reminder that we actually need. Um, I worry about the people that, that don't need God, mm -hmm. or at least that's the way they see their lives. And um there's, there's a gift of being in the wilderness, and that is that, you know, if, if eventually if, if we kind of are, are reminded that the only hope we have is through someone else, then we can, we can find that person. Um, and so uh, I, w I would say to those people, yeah, you're in the wilderness, but you're not alone. Um, Christ is with you. And, and in fact, um, you know, that is where you know, James talks about, you know, when you're, uh, what does he say? Um, that, uh, that this testing um, brings about uh, endurance. And I can't remember exactly what he says in that first part of James. But the wilderness will change you. Um, and it will make you somebody that's more like God uh, and more like Jesus Christ, the, the light of the world, um, and, and who he's called you to be as well, too. And so um, if you're in the wilderness, maybe it's because God is making you into somebody that, 
can be the light of the world. And, and, and that starts with trusting that, that he's with you right there. But, mm. but it's hard. I mean, gosh. It is hard. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe in another podcast, if we can get you back here and we talk about this passage of scripture again, we'll talk about the spirit leading Jesus out. And, you know, there are those Christians who think that God does things to them to teach them, you know, to grow them up, to mature them in Christ, to, to um, reveal his presence. And um, God's a good God. He's faithful and he's kind. Um, anyway, I'd love to have that conversation. At some, how deterministic is yeah. he? <laughs> I know, right? Well, and I, and the, the one thing we do know is that God's just really good at reconciling and resurrecting. And so I think we experience God in those moments mm. and, and it feels like, Oh, God made me go through this, but it's, I mean, he's, God's just going to go and resurrect anything that like, you know, is, is will die. Yes. You know, if we let go and, and if we're in that place and we really do let go and, and give ourselves away to, to Christ, then that's where we'll find the resurrection because you're, you can't resurrect what isn't dead. And, and so I think that's why it feels like, Oh, God made me go through this so that, I would experience this, but it's like, I don't know. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to try to figure out understanding all that. <laughs> but you can't resurrect what isn't dead. That's, <laughs> let's remember that. All right, our final sure. pericope of the month is Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38. It is the Revised Common Lectionary Passage for the second Sunday of Easter prep, Lent, which is February the 25th. Brad, do us the honors, please. Sure. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are settling your mind not on divine things but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any wishes to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for, and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy mm, angels. Not today, Satan. Poor Peter. I mean, this is, this is the second time in our conversation that we see him getting it wrong. So um, let's not waste it. What can we learn from his, this interaction with Jesus? And why did Jesus rebuke Peter so strongly? And what does that rebuke teach us about the ways of Christ? Well, be before we talk about this rebuke of Peter. I want to, I mean, because it's maybe the harshest thing Jesus ever says mm. to Peter. And maybe he says to anybody, get behind me, Satan. Uh, but before, I, I want to give Peter credit. Um, literally just moments before this, Jesus gives Peter maybe the highest praise he's given anyone in the Gospels. Like just a few verses before Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, is, is when Peter confesses Christ. And Jesus says, yes, and this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father. And from now on, Peter, I'm going to call you my rock and I will build my church on you and the gates of hell will not keep it out. So I, I think I, I want to bring that up because I just love how Jesus lets the good be the good and the bad be the mm, bad. Yeah. Right. He 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 
he holds on to both of these things. And, and, and so in one moment that Peter gets it, he finds this, this beautiful like response from Jesus. Um, and the fact that Peter's about to blow it doesn't change what Jesus just said. <laughs> and, and I think that's so important because we go through our life and we have these moments where God kind of calls us into his work and says, I'm going to do something with you. And then we blow it and, and, and we got to be able to, in those moments, shake it off and go, all right, that doesn't change what else Jesus has said and, and what else Jesus has called me to. Um, but, um, but this, this, get behind me, Satan, that he says to Peter. I think it's more than just, you know, calling out Peter. Um, I think we have to go back to the wilderness, right? And I think Peter's doing exactly what Satan was doing to Jesus in the wilderness. He's trying to get Jesus to use his power in a different way. You know, Peter's saying, Jesus, you have the power to save the world without all this death and dying nonsense. That's Satan. That's so. So when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I think he's talking to Satan more than Peter. Um, because what Peter's doing is, is that same thing that, you know, we see Satan in the wilderness doing, um, and, you know, trying to control the way that Jesus is going to change the world. Um, and Jesus is not going to have any of that, you know, uh, because the only way to fix the curse of sin, uh, you know, Paul says the wages of sin is death. What we earn from our sin is death. Um, the only way we're going to fix it is through going all the way into that death and then resurrecting it. And so, um, you know, for Peter, Peter, there's no way to, to saving the world that doesn't involve Jesus's death and resurrection. And so, um, we, we see that moment and Jesus rebukes him, but I think it's more so, uh, kind of this rebuking of what Satan is always trying to do, which is to have us not trust the real way that God is going to change the world and change us. Yeah. Yeah, and Peter's going to give you a big old hug in the fullness of the kingdom for coming to his aid and reminding us that the good <laughs> is good and the bad is bad, and we all participate in it. It's, uh, that's a good way of looking at it. Get behind me, Satan. Um, so I'm looking at the, the verses 35 through 38, and in my mind it's filled with juxtaposition. Um, maybe you see it too. So how would you Christologically preach this portion of the text. What say you? Well, you know, I, I think Christologically, you just point to Jesus because yeah. this is exactly how Jesus lived, right? Um, he, he says for those who want to save their life will lose it. Jesus loses his. And, um, and, and so everything that, that Jesus is saying here that feels like just, just sorry, just juxtaposition, I had a hard time saying that one, um, is, is, is because the kingdom really is upside down and backwards. Mm. Um, and so you point to Jesus, you point to all the ways that it's upside down and backwards. You, you point to the fact that Jesus shows up in, in a time of history that he has such a small, you, you know, uh, in, in terms of at least globally, impact, yes. right? Uh, how many, you know, how far did Jesus travel from his home? Probably not as far as we'll travel to visit family for Christmas. Um, it's upside down and backwards to think that that's the moment that God chooses to, to send his savior into the world. You would have thought it would have been in a time where that person would be on TV, where that person would be able to, to get the message out, uh, in this big way. You would have expected it, that it wouldn't have been a, you know, I mean, Jesus was basically a homeless man <laughs> for the time of his ministry. That is upside down and backwards. Um, 
the fact that Jesus says, love your enemies, uh, the fact that Jesus forgives his enemies, even on the cross, um, uh, is, is, is so not the way that, that we would assume that any, you know, God of any taste would behave, but that's the way our God is. And so, um, so what does that look like? Well, it looks like giving away our lives and trusting that though it seems upside down and backwards, that that really is the place where we'll find life. Um, and again, I think it's because if, if we're not doing that, then we're not giving God the room to work. We're not giving the Holy Spirit uh, the space to do something meaningful because we're, we're holding on to that steering wheel and not letting go yeah. um, and letting him lead. And so, yeah. And I, I, I that, it makes me, you know, I'm looking at verse 38, Brad, and if I'm being real with myself, there have been times where I've been ashamed of Jesus and his words, um, especially out of my ignorance. And it says that the Son of Man will be ashamed. Um, <laughs> what do I take away from that? Where's the good news there? So in 38, those who are ashamed of me and of my words. You know, I, I think in those moments, Anthony, I think you've got to, you got to just be really honest about that you still have this duality of the old and the new, mm-hmm. you know, and the old self, you know, we've died with Christ. And, and in one sense, the old self is, is dead, but it's, it's a ghost. It has no future, but it's still ghosting around. Um, and, and then the new self is, is, is the self that is really alive. Right. And, and, and we live kind of with both of these realities. And so I think that, you know, yeah, Jesus is going, your old self is the one that's ashamed. And that's why we have to put that old self away once and for all. Mm -hmm. And to to disconnect kind of the real you from the false you. And every day, my old self, you know, makes makes himself known. And, um, but as I've gotten older, the more that I'm able to, 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 to trust that that part of me is the part of me that when I'm dead is going to stay dead. Yeah. It's not the real me. Yes. It's it's the the ghost of my old self. It's the ghost of Adam um, that my life really is hidden in my new self, which is in Christ. And you know, I, uh, often I think it's easy to think that our kind of lives are kind of this zero sum. That like as I grow in faith, I become more righteous and less sinful, you know, and, and maybe the good Christian life is getting to 75% righteous and 25% sinful. But the more I've just been honest with myself, the more I think I've come to understand scripture. The truth is, is my old self is 100% dead in sin. There is nothing of real life in my old self. The darkness is really dark. The evil is really evil. And my new self is 100% in Christ, resurrected and righteous. And these two things are both, they have nothing to do with one another, except that they're both inside this person whose name is Brad. And so when my old self kind of leads me into, you know, falling into sin or saying that thing, I just put it in its place. And I'll say, that's not me. That's not the real me. Um, And I think that's what we have to do. and, and I think in our death, once and for all, that old self, God will get rid of that old self in our death. And, and then we really will be kind of in the fullness of, of God's 
creation uh, made new. Uh, hallelujah. That, you know, the lying Anthony won't inherit the kingdom of God, that the one that was ashamed of Jesus's words <laughs> won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I, I so like the I, metaphor you use of ghosting, because it wasn't it Martin Luther that said, you know, the old man was buried in the water, but that I found out that old wretch can swim, and he keeps showing up in my life, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> and and if, if we have, I would love to tell you this story. One time uh, when I was teaching uh, Colossians to uh, a group of high school students, um, Colossians 3 has this like language of, about the old self, you know, um, where it says, uh, on account of these things, God's wrath will be poured, poured out. And I, I asked my students, I said, is there anybody that you would love to see God's wrath pour, poured out on? And they were like, no, <laughs> you know, they, they were like, how can you say that? And I said, there's somebody in this room I would love for God's wrath to be poured out on. And they were like, Brad, how can you say that? And I was like, and it's, and it's me. At least yes. it's the part of me that is still like, struggling with sin. It's that old self. Like I want God's wrath to be poured out on my old self because if it's not, and my old self gets into the kingdom once and for all, he's going to ruin it for everybody else. <laughs> and so, yes, you, will. you know, I, I, like, like that is what I am, you know, as, as I live trying to follow Christ and, and that old self still gets in the way and, and still causes me to feel ashamed and question and and get lazy and um you know uh gets in the way of what god wants to do uh, yeah bring your wrath on that that part of me god um and and kill it and let it stay dead forever um, amen i'm okay with that i am too brother i i have always enjoyed our friendship and your exegesis of scripture um and th this has just been a fun conversation brother around scripture, something yeah. we both love. So thank you for doing this. And I also want to thank uh, the, the team of people that make this podcast possible. We couldn't do it without them. Ruel Inario and David McKinnon and Elizabeth Mullins, thank you, thank you, thank you for your labor of love in service to Christ with Gospel Reverb. And Brad, it's our tradition to um, end with prayer. We'd love to ask you to do it, but thanks again for being a part of this. Really enjoyed it. Sure, and, and thank you for letting me just come here and talk about scripture and, and Jesus and just I love being with you, Anthony. And uh, I really appreciate what you're doing here. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are the God um, that resurrects the dead, um, that you are the God that brings new life uh, and that because of your life, death and resurrection, um, we can experience reality we can experience your kingdom even here and now, Lord. So help us do just that, Lord. Help us learn how to die to ourselves. Help us learn how to let go of those things that are that, that we are giving our lives over to, Lord, and, um, and let go so that in Christ we might live for the sake of the world and that the world might see you um, through your people, Lord. Um, so use us to be your light in the world, Lord. Uh, use the people that are listening to this to be your light in the world, that their communities, that their um, workplaces, wherever they are, Lord, um, people might know you and experience your great love through them. We pray all this in your holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. 
thank you for being a guest of Gospel Reverb. If you like what you heard, give us a high rating and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. Share this episode with a friend. It really does help us get the word out as we are just getting started. Join us next month for a new show and insights from the RCL. Until then, peace be with you.